I am so happy to be back up here with all of you this morning. So this is the summer of Acts. This summer we're focusing on discerning the spirit. And that word discerning, that's kind of a super churchy word. Really, it just means that we're trying to tune in to what God is doing in our lives and in the world and in our church. God is always present and at work, but sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we just miss it. So all of this summer stuff that we're doing is to try to help us wake up to what God is doing so that we can participate with it so that we can join in with the work of the Spirit in this world. So from an individual standpoint, we're offering our Acts groups. Now let me clarify, this is not a Bible study on the book of Acts. These groups are helping us as individuals learn how to wake up to the Spirit in our own lives, in our regular, everyday, ordinary lives like Roland was talking about earlier. Our Acts groups just started this past week, and we still have one more week of session one, so if you weren't able to make it, you still have a little bit of time. From a congregational standpoint, we've got this Acts sermon series, which is about the book of Acts from the Bible. And it is also complete with a song every week from some of our favorite Broadway acts. You get it? Okay, right? Maybe you've noticed that the Broadway songs are not making it into our worship guide. We will have a song every week, but you may not always know when. So just like the Holy Spirit, we get to wonder and be excited and be surprised. Some of you are like, no, that's not how I roll. Put that thing in the worship guide. (laughs) We also have two more guest preachers coming this summer. Reverend Chris Fillingham is coming next week. And then Dr. Molly Marshall is coming at the very end of July. And every other Sunday, you get the church staff. You get me, you get Connie, you get Charles once, which is sure to be exciting. Charles, did you hear that? Yeah. No pressure. (laughs) As we talk about waking up to the work of the Spirit in our midst, I'm praying that this happens for us both individually and congregationally. I've been using the word ACTS as an acronym for As Church in the Spirit, learning to live as church in the Spirit. And as we look through the book of Acts in our services this summer, we're looking at how the church then participated with the Spirit so that we can better learn how to participate with the Spirit as the church now. We're looking at how the church then participated with the Spirit so that we can better understand how to participate with the Spirit as the church now. The story we're focusing on today comes from Acts chapter 3, and it starts in chapter 3, verse 1, and goes all the way to chapter 4, verse 31. I do encourage you to look it up and read it for yourself sometime this week, but for today, rather than read it, since it is very long, we're going to hear this scripture story in a different way. And Jennifer and John Road are going to come up and do that for us. I was sitting at the temple gate. It happened at the gate of the temple. I sat there every day. My friends, well, not friends, really, but 
people, they brought me there every day. I would sit and ask for donations. He was always out there, sitting at the gate, begging for money. It worked occasionally. I thought my best chance of getting help was from the holy people. So that's where I stayed until that day. But that day, something happened. And we still can't really explain it. There were these two guys. I saw them about to go in, and I asked them for alms. It was a half-hearted ask. I had been doing this for a while, and I knew my chances. The frustrating thing is that everyone knew him. Everyone had seen him out there for years at this point. So it's not like we could deny or feign ignorance at what we were seeing. They stopped right in front of me. I remember looking at their sandals. I remember the faint glimmer of hope that maybe they were wrestling through their pouches for a few coins to send my way. Then one of them spoke to me. <laughs> That's what really got on our nerves, the speaking. After it happened, everyone was watching them and they were all amazed so that the two disciples started speaking to everyone in the temple about Jesus, about how he was holy and righteous one of God, how he would be killed and how he was killed and rose from the dead, how if they'll repent and turn to Jesus, then their sins will be forgiven and they'll be refreshed or something. They didn't say any of that to me. They just told me to look at them. I thought they were going to give me money. <laughs> they didn't have any money. Who were these guys? They were poor, uneducated, small-town nobodies who really didn't have any business speaking to people in the temple. I have no silver or gold, he said to me, but what I do have, I give to you. And then he stuck out his hand. I'll never forget it. He held out his hand and said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And then he reached for me. And then the next thing we know, there's a huge crowd gathered all around these three guys, two we don't recognize and one we kind of do, but none of us can place him until we get closer and hear the other one speaking, saying, this man was healed by faith in the name of Jesus. Then we realized who that guy was. It was the best day of my life. It was the worst day of my life. So of course I followed them. So of course we arrested them. Who cares? I could walk! <laughs> the next day we brought them all before us again to try and figure out how they did this. By what power or by what name did you do this? As if they didn't already know. And the, the bigger guy, the one who was doing most of the talking the day before. Peter. Fine, Peter. He launches into the speech telling us that it was in the name of Jesus Christ who we crucified, who God raised from the dead, that this man was healed. And he told us, the whole council and group of religious leaders, that there's salvation in no one else but Jesus? It was bold, audacious. It was awesome! We realized then that these guys were companions of Jesus. But look at him. How were we supposed to argue with that? We knew we couldn't deny it because now everyone had seen it and, and, and heard this guy uh, 
Peter. Sure, Peter. Telling everyone it was done by Jesus. But we knew there was danger here. If people started believing in Jesus, they'd stop listening to us. So we came up with a compromise. The religious leaders looked at Peter and John and told them they were no longer allowed to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What? It was a compromise. But Peter and John answered them, We'll let you decide if it's better to listen to you or to listen to God, because we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. The audacity. So the religious leaders threatened them again. Mean, scary threats about their families and their lives, about what would happen to them if Peter and John kept preaching about Jesus. But that's all the leaders had, threats. Because what were they going to do? Everyone was watching, and all the people were praising God because of what happened to me. I mean, I was over 40 years old, and I had never been able to walk my whole life. This was a miracle, and the religious leaders couldn't argue with that. He's right. So we let them go. They let us go. I went with Peter and John back to their people, others who already believed in Jesus, and Peter and John reported the threats the religious leaders had made. I thought they would be afraid, but instead they started praying. They asked God to give them all the boldness to continue speaking. They asked that God continue to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, when they finished praying, the whole place started shaking, and this kind of power came in. And they all started speaking the word of God with boldness. Like I said, best day, day ever. ever. It was the best day ever. It was the worst day ever. It was the time of belief. It was the time of incredulity. It was the season of change. It was the season of digging your heels into the ground and refusing to be moved. This may seem like the story of a man being healed, but it's actually a tale of two churches. One church is the long-standing pillar of society, the symbol of right belief and holiness. It's known for its structure, not only its physical structure, which was an incredible temple up on a mount, but also its internal structure, its rules and its rituals. It made decisions about who was in and who was out, what was holy and what was not. The other church was this brand new kind of mysterious thing that nobody really was sure what to do with. Unlike its counterpart, it was not well known, and there didn't seem to be any structure to it whatsoever. It wasn't a building, it was just people. But also there didn't seem to be any rules about what kind of people. No one talked about who was in and who was out, what was holy and what was not. It had the poor, the uneducated, the ordinary, everyday nobodies in its midst. The only prerequisite for this second church seemed to be faith in Jesus Christ. In our scripture today from Acts, both churches experienced similar circumstances. Both churches saw the beggar. 
Both churches experienced fear, and both churches leveraged their power. But they couldn't have been more different. Now, maybe at this point you're saying, you're using the word church a lot. And maybe you're looking at me like Inigo Montoya. Have you ever seen The Princess Bride? Do we remember this movie? The villain in that movie, Vicini, liked to say that everything was inconceivable. When Inigo says, I'm just turning back to make sure nobody is following us, Vicini says, that would be inconceivable. When Inigo says, he's climbing the rope and he's gaining on us, Vicini says, inconceivable. And when they cut the rope and Vicini looks over the edge of the cliff, he says, he didn't fall. Say it with me, everybody. Inconceivable. And finally, Inigo looks at Vicini and says, why do you keep saying that word? I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, I keep saying the word church, and I don't think it means what people usually think it means either. People use the word church in many different ways. We use it to mean a building or an organization, a denomination, a community, a worship service. For our purposes today, I'm describing both the institutional structured religious system of the temple in those days, and I'm also describing the new community of believers, the people who had faith in Jesus. So let's, just to keep things clear, let's not call them both church. Let's call the first one the system and the second one the spirited. So this is a tale of two churches, the system and the spirited. Both churches saw the beggar. The scripture tells us that after he was healed, people inside the temple recognized him as the man who used to sit outside of the gate. So he was known to those inside the temple, but he wasn't one of them. I wonder, did they ever invite him in? Did they ever offer to make him a hot meal? Did they ever even bother to learn his name as they passed him every day going up those simple steps? I get the impression that this man was used to being ignored. He was probably all too accustomed to people passing him by, averting their eyes when they would approach, and so after so long of no one looking at him, he stopped looking at them too. He probably started to feel invisible. But when he asked Peter and John for alms, the people, the scripture says that Peter and John stopped, that they both looked intently at him, and that then Peter spoke to him and said, Look at us. And only at that moment did the man fix his eyes on them. So both the system church and the spirited church saw the beggar. But only one really looked at him. Only one stopped to speak to him. When Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Peter does, doesn't just stand back and wait for it to happen. No, the scripture tells us that he reaches out his hand and raises the man up. See, the system church believed that if someone had a physical ailment, it was because they were a sinner. And if they were a sinner, then they were unclean. And if they were unclean, then you were not allowed to touch them because touching them could spread the uncleanness by contact. So while the system kept the beggar at arm's length, the spirited reached out a hand to help him up. Once the man had been healed, the scripture tells us that he entered the temple with Peter and John, walking and leaping and praising God. Does that sound familiar to some of us? It also says that the man clung to Peter and John. When they were arrested, he was with them. 
When they stood before the council, he was with them. And when they left and went back to the other believers, he went with them. He became one of them. So while the system kept him on the outside for years, kept him separated, the spirit welcomed him in. And we also know that both churches were afraid. The religious leaders felt threatened by what they were seeing and hearing with regard to Peter's testimony. They worried that others would turn away from them, would turn away from their system and start believing in Jesus. So they responded to this fear by leveraging their power. The religious leaders warned Peter and John and the healed man that if they continued to speak about Jesus, they would get in trouble. They said they're not allowed to tell anybody else about this. And Peter's like, uh, yeah, that's not going to work for us. We're going to keep speaking about Jesus. So the religious leaders threatened them again. And these were not empty threats. This system had power. It could arrest them. It could imprison them. It could exile them. It could even execute them like it had just done a few months earlier with Jesus. These were not empty threats. The spirited church also felt some fear because these guys were threatening them. So it makes sense. Peter and John went back to the other believers to tell them what had happened, to tell them about these threats. And the other believers knew that these threats applied to them as well. But then the scripture says that they lifted up their voices together in prayer. And they didn't pray for safety. And they didn't pray for protection from the religious leaders. They prayed for boldness in the midst of all the threats. They prayed that God would continue to give them boldness to speak the truth about Jesus. So when the system felt afraid, it leveraged its power. It coerced. It made threats. It did whatever it could to silence those that they felt were a threat against them. But when the spirit had felt afraid, it too leaned into its power but it was a completely different kind of power. It was the Holy Spirit. They didn't coerce. They didn't return threats with threats. They didn't run away or back down. They asked God to give them boldness to keep going. This is not just the story of a man who was healed. This is a tale of two churches, the system and the spirited. And here's the startling fact. At one point in time, the system was the spirited. At one point in time, the system was the spirited. The presence of God dwelt in the temple right at the center of their community. So pillars of fire and waters from rocks and dry bones being breathed into and raised up to new life. All of that happened when the presence of God dwelt in their midst. But then God did a new thing. God pivoted and he came down to earth in the form of Jesus but the system refused to see Jesus for who he was he didn't fit their mold he didn't ascribe to their system and so the system rejected him somewhere along the way they stopped listening to the spirit they couldn't see this new thing that God was doing so when God pivoted they did not pivot with God we see that in this story. We see the religious leaders looking at the man who has been healed, unable to deny it, hearing Peter's testimony that this happened by faith in Jesus. 
and yet they still refuse to believe. But those outside the system, they believed. And those believers became a new thing, a new church, a church enlivened by the Holy Spirit. Friends, these days, I think we're seeing a lot of churches who used to be spirited, but have become systems. Systems that decide who is in and who is out, rather than going out and welcoming everybody in. Systems who want to protect their reputation more than they want to protect the vulnerable. Systems who care more about their power than they do about people. But I also think that God is doing a new thing, even today, even now. And I think even though we see those spirited ones that are becoming systems, we're also seeing other churches that are becoming spirited. The church from our scripture today, the spirited church that was seeing people healed and experiencing the ground shaking as the Holy Spirit filled them up, those were regular, ordinary, everyday people just like you and me. Just regular people who believed. They believed in Jesus. They believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. They believed that God was doing something new and they wanted to get on board with it. And isn't that us? Isn't that who we are? Isn't that what we want? One of my favorite tiny details of this story is that Peter says it was faith in Jesus Christ that healed the beggar. But it wasn't the beggar's faith. The beggar didn't know Jesus. It was Peter and John's faith in Jesus that healed the beggar. It was Peter and John's faith that healed the beggar. What then could our faith in Jesus do? For those in our pews, but also for those in our community, in our world. What kinds of new things might God be wanting to do in us and through us as we listen as we lean into the Holy Spirit's power, as we believe. I don't know the answers, but I know that it's exciting to ask those questions. Here's what I do know. God is doing a new thing, and we are invited to be a part of it. So what are we waiting for? <laughs>